medicine properly. What's been happening with you? You good? I'm well. Um, I just uh, have been having, like I've been working all morning and then I'm taking some downtime. Yeah. And it feels like the rest of this day, at least for the next couple of hours. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be chilling until maybe when my little cousin comes home. And then, yeah, then the chaos begins again. <laughs> then yeah then it's back to back to regular in the chaos you know so i'm enjoying the <laughs> silence but it's so weird i miss the little kid anyway even though he's gone to school ah okay then that's a blessing that's a blessing in disguise yeah 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 yeah, yeah. you know what right i must admit um usually when i before i start a podcast well podcast conversation i do some research on somebody and the more yeah. research i do some on someone it's like a dave Chappelle thing the more research i do on somebody there's just more interesting content every time i was doing some research on you like there's so much i'm learning about you i was like this guy is really multifaceted um i thought i was <laughs> just talking to like a typical filmmaker and as far as it goes but i think you go deeper than that just tell me how how on earth are you that uh, multifaceted i don't know if it's if it's multifaceted first of all i'm curious yeah uh, about what you found in the research <laughs> <laughs> hopefully there's a big big like black mark over my uj days hopefully no, no, none no, of no. that I, I didn't made it in there i should have i should have but i was like nah that's that's a bit too dark <laughs> um yeah thank you <laughs> no man um so so i don't know if the word is multifaceted i think for me when i think about it because getting into this business was very much an accident for me but a happy accident you know and, and as i grow older i don't think that anything happens by accident or anything you know everything happens for some reason um i i started as an intern uh, in a production company called don't look down that's okay. kind of how the the television thing began as an official thing that i did but before that I suppose I was always into storytelling. So, you know, uh, I was thinking about it leading up to this conversation. And when I was young, I tried to audition for ads. I didn't even remember that until like earlier this morning. When I was at university um, or like even in high school, I was trying to uh, be in a band when I mean, we started a rap group. And when I was in university, you know, uh, I was part of the church thing. I was horrible at being part of the church thing because I wasn't really concentrating. But um, <laughs> even at that point, I was trying to do audio visual. You know, that kind of was what fascinated me. And I thought these are like kind of like hobbies that you kind of do on the side. Uh, I always thought I was going to be a corporate gent. You know, for me, a job was someone to put on chinos and a shirt. That felt like a job. Yeah. You know, and then um, somehow I was doing my honors um, in in communication theory because I was I was like, yo, if I could like be you know, working for like a distel or like, you know, something like that, British American tobacco, something very serious. That was kind of what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I did my honors and a friend of mine that I'd met earlier on during my UJ days, he had left to go work and he came back to do honors and he was working in television. Okay. And he had his other friend of his as well. And the both of them kind of came into the mix and then every single class, and this is five times a week, they would just talk about their UJ days. Jeez. You know? Yeah. Oh, somebody's like beeping somewhere. Anyway, can you hear the beep? Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm concerned think, about I think that's on your side. Yeah, I think it's yeah. outside. Yeah. 
No worries. No worries. Just give me one second. I'm gonna investigate. Maybe it's a bomb. You never know. Eh? Maybe I'm. You know. You. Oh, it's a truck outside. Someone's on the one time in the first five minutes. Someone brings a truck. We just. Yeah. Someone's. Yeah. Look, I think this is gonna be a while because someone just. No worries. So Congrats. Congratulations to them. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, um. These these two gents, like uh, it was Kesso and Hastings, they just like sat next to me and basically seduced me to be in television just by me overhearing the things that they were talking about, you know. Okay. And uh, it would be like YFM this and award show that and Bonang did this and they were talking about these people like the people that they work, you know. Like oh my god, this sounds so dope. And the idea was always to. Um, you know, if I could just do that for an internship. So it was October and I was like, I just need an internship, have a little fun and then go back to do the serious thing, the serious actual job that I'm supposed to do. Which is? And no, that was, I think that was my idea. So oh, the serious okay. job that I wanted to do, yeah. So it's October, the year was almost done. These people have been seducing me with their television talk. And I'm like, I need work experience anyway. I had already been doing work experience at a, a few different places at that point. And I was like, let me just close it up with a little bit of fun, yeah. do something uh, October-ish into December, and then kind of apply for real jobs. You know, that was the plan. And then I got in there. And dude, I don't know if you've ever worked for a production company um, during the last three months of the year, okay. especially one in entertainment. But like, there's a lot that's going on. So it was like a very busy time. So in the first three months, I mean, like in, within two weeks of me working, I was staying at hotels. I was meeting really cool people. Then those red carpets, I think it was like, the Channel O Awards are still happening. Entertainment was still in full force. Miss South Africa. I mean, okay, let me tell you the story of Miss South Africa real quick. <laughs> when I, the first Miss South Africa I ever did, I think was the one where Rolene Strauss won. Okay. Yeah? And we were doing the, the, um, the lead up to it, the road to Miss South Africa, as well as the actual show. That was the production company that I was uh, PAing for at the time as an intern. And I remember... On my first day on this set, on the road to... Dude, you know what my job was? I'll tell you this. Eight in the morning. <laughs> for some reason, they decided that's the best time to the bikini part. Eight in the morning. And my job was to open the door, let the ladies walk. Close the door, let the ladies go. <laughs> I have no idea why <laughs> you're complaining. I have so no idea why you're complaining. Something about this place makes me feel like this could be for me work because that's when all the really cool stuff happens towards the end of the year but I fell in love with it and that's kind of like because I never went to film school I kind of got very interested in making sure things stuff along the way because I always felt like other people were learning this mysterious thing um, from all the different kind of school backgrounds that they had some people went to AFTA and Boston or whatever and here I was I was studying something completely different so I think to answer the question of multifacetedness it's, it came from that. I wanted to learn as much as I can so that whenever I spoke, at least it was some fair level of understanding of each and every area of this kind of value chain that we call making television. But I ended up kind of like learning how to edit. I wrote a lot in the early days. Um, v Entertainment was a very big school for how to make bite-sized content. I'm very grateful for that time. It was, it was absolutely difficult in the sense that it was a lot of work. It was a lot, a lot of work. And I barely yeah. slept, you know? I, I always, but I learned a lot. I always, I've always viewed the entertainment as something, like, they did something ahead of their time. 
So they were they they just hit the right market, and I don't understand why they haven't been very. Well, I don't I don't understand why entertainment doesn't exist today. But I always think that what they were doing at that time was so innovative. It was so fast paced. I could just speak to a broad audience. You know what I mean? The entertainment was very yeah. special, very very special. In fact, Vuzu, the entire Vuzu idea behind it was just was just amazing. I think it was just like a, a combination of everything coming together at the right time people who are young uh, urban pop culture that's kind of breaking into its own in south africa mm. plus like kind of social media because i mean like by the time the entertainment happened blackberries were a thing twitter was a thing so there was another way for coolness to move together and then like aka's and then was i remember like when i was on campus there's a blackberry ambassador thing and aka was yeah. still like kind of doing that kind of circuit so i think all of it kind of comes together you know and we we I, I only worked I think, for like three years and then kind of like the last couple of years of that time before yeah. it changed into the new format that it became. But dude, it, it was kind of, everything was happening together. And when you, when you are doing something really good, when you're in a high, a lot of the times you don't realize you're in a peak of something because everything's just happening so seamlessly. When you know? you're, oh, that's, so, that's very true. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's like, you see now in South Africa, we know uh, how, how important electricity is because it goes away. Whereas when it's happening before 2007, nobody ever even thought about what ESCOM does in an intimate way mm. because it's at a good place. And so it kind of is the same way how I view that time. Everything was really going so well in terms of the contribution that uh, not only that channel, but the group of people behind that channel were contributing to pop culture and its growth in a very, very, very big way. We didn't realize it, but it was, it was something that was important. And once we took it away, even Channel O was, mm. once it went away, there's, there's a big hole, even to this day. But I think the thing that a lot of us need to accept, and it's a painful thing. Sometimes we'll be sitting having drinks with some of the people who made it, some of the people who were even like presenters at the time. And it's a painful thing. You sit there, you're like half tipsy and you miss it. But it's like one of those things. I don't think that thing will ever come back. I think what's left now is the next group of people, the next generation or the next innovators must come up with whatever that thing will be for this generation and amplified and amplified very much yeah look i mean at that time i would imagine everything is so fast-paced it's also very blurry because i mean there's so much happening at such a fast pace how do you how do you in your position at the entertainment at that time how do you harness your skills because how do you harness your skills and i'm pretty sure you have to be mentored at that time because i mean in the position you are now i kind of get the sense that you've been molded to think differently yeah, uh, I can I can agree. I think one of the big advantages of not going to film school is that you don't have a template in your mind of ah. what the industry should be. That was, I think, was one of the big advantages. But I mean, like, it's a disadvantage in the sense that I knew nothing about it. I didn't even know about how cameras worked or anything like that when I entered the space, how to put a script together. None of that kind of happened. But I think uh, there was a lot of adaptability. But, you know, when you talk about mentors, there was a guy called Mohammed Nagdi. He passed away a few years ago, unfortunately. Okay. Um, but he, he was the producer who worked with me. And um, a lot of the times, like, um, you know, especially when you have someone who you work for in these spaces, they can be very hard on you. A lot of people don't have a very great relationship with their seniors in this, in this industry. But I don't know, somehow there was a synergy that we had and he kind of believed in the work that I was doing. So he was very... Uh, interested in pushing me a lot you know um so because of that I think that was one sort of overall mentor but even like 
there was a DOP called Vili Berger. He was very, very difficult to work with. And he'll probably laugh if he ever hears me say this. But he used to push me. I remember like literally the first shoot day that I had, I got shouted at because I didn't know how to, I, I didn't know how to leave a camera properly in the bag. So I got really like shouted at. Yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. Never do that again. And that was kind of the environment I was in. That era, dude, the, the, the camera people, the DOPs were very hard. Today, like they have to be soft on you because of, you know, it's a new generation. But at that time, dude, like you had no time for mistakes. You had no time for, for oh my God, I'm so tired. No, dude. I mean, I can tell you, there are 112 steps. You see it in Sun City. Yeah. <laughs> at the observatory and yeah. the palace. Yeah. There are 112 steps. Do you know how I know this? Because I've carried gear <laughs> up and down those steps enough that the PAs made a game of it. How many steps until you need to stop? That's yeah. how we know. And I still haven't forgotten that. But I mean, like, it's built a resilience, you know? So mental-wise, it would be probably Billy. Um, but script writing was, was uh, Nick. Nick was this guy who also wrote the script of the entertainment. I learned everything about writing, a lot of it from him. I've always felt that, um, you know, the toughest people and even the assholes that come into this earth are the people that actually make the earth a better place because they're very frank and they push it as much as they can, um, despite what people think of them. And I think that's what you've been molded by. I, I disagree with you totally. I don't like the assholes <laughs> in this world. But what I will say, though, is that I appreciate them because what they do for us is give us uh, a, a yin to the yang. You know, like, you need a guy to tell you what's not good so you know where you are. You yeah, need someone yeah. so you can point to that autocratic, say, That's bad guy. That autocratic yeah? fist, yeah. Yeah, but honestly, we're all twins, you know? We can't have good without the bad. So I, I get what you say. We also need them and they need us so we can also define ourselves through each other. I've always felt that filmmaking also requires a lot of patience. Um, I can imagine how many multiple retakes one takes. Um, I've never been in that position, nor have I been like behind the camera, obviously as much as you do. But um, in, a, in a, an industry that you're in, um, that requires, that demands a lot of um, creativity and also a lot of work. How important is the patience to you? I mean, like how impatient do you have to be, you know, working with people and all these takes? How on earth is it? I mean, how does it come across with you? Um, sure. It's a very big question. Yeah. So patience, patience is, is a part of it, but I think the, the key part of this entire space, as much as I've seen of it is planning. Mm. Um, if you don't plan, that's when you're going to need your patience yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because things can go wrong very quickly. And I think the best kind of advice regarding overall thoughts about what, what to do and how, how it feels to plan and be patient on a set is you can fail and you can fail dismally as long as you had a plan that was probably the best advice I ever gotten <clears throat> in terms of yeah. like making stuff as long as you have a plan because a plan you can offset off of you can improvise off of a plan but if you have nothing then you don't quite know what's going on and everything goes to shit you know mm. so um for me patience yes but it's more like patience for the plan because I always see it like this. We, we get an opportunity. We, ha- we sit in a room, we plan, we plan really hard for months sometimes to shoot over a couple of days, maybe like, you know, uh, or longer, but it's a very finite time. And in this finite time, you must get things. So you might plan to get a hundred things and in it, you only get 80. Now, is that a failure or is that a success? It's 80 out of a hundred. That's a success, but it's that other 20 that kind of sits on you. And so, it's like when you when you think about how do I be patient in this space is when you're at 78 and you've only got 
two more kind of time to fetch. You need to be patient to try and see what is it that I can get, what can't I get. And that's where kind of your patience needs to come in. Because yeah. if it all goes away, if it all, like I'll tell you now, dude, in those moments, that's when you need to be patient with people. So you need to be patient with yourself. And so you need to be patient with the process. Because there, that's when you need to make the tough decisions. And those tough decisions, yes, they happen quickly. But they happen quickly because your approach to it comes with a lot of patience. You have to give 15 minutes if that 15 minutes is what is actually needed to get the thing that you need. And sometimes it's, it's like that kind of little uh, ball game where you have to decide where do I prioritize and where do I not? And you'll see a lot of people who, especially who start getting to DOP, um, <clears throat> AD, director, producer level, they can look at where the schedule is in the morning and look at what's happening on the ground, literally look, and with 15 minutes, tell you how far over we are. Literally. Because you, you, you have this ability to kind of look into the matrix, and then that's how we learn how to catch up. And even in that, even when you're trying to hurry, you still have to be patient because sometimes your hurried state can um, cause you to fail if you push too much. Sometimes there's a point even when you're hurrying where you need to stop so you can be quicker in the long run. You know, I would assume with the team. Well, do you always are you always work more or less with the same people? Because um, you know, at, at most times I've always seen like in terms, of, especially when it comes to filmmakers, it's more or less it's always more or less the same people they work around with. Um, are you always more or less with the same people depending on the projects you're working on? I'm gonna say yes. Um, over the past, uh, I don't know, since 2016, 2017, I've kind of been yeah. working more or less with the same group of people. Yeah. Um, that for me is a blessing, but sometimes it, it kind of alludes to the problem that we have in this industry. There's a lot of gatekeeping and sometimes not gatekeeping through malice. Sometimes the gatekeeping is because, because it's such a, a machine with so many things that ride on it, so many moving parts on the one side, and then so many promises are made mm. to people who funded, people who broadcasted, whatever. Um, and even then, you don't know if it's going to be uh, stick to the audience or not, if the audience is going to like it. Because of all these variables, it becomes very difficult to change your machine or the people that you work with every single time you go out. Because I'll tell you now, there's nothing more valuable than a well-oiled machine, especially when you start talking at a higher level. Because then you have a way in which you can trust and rely on people. Like if, for example, there's an arts or a props person that I like to work with, um, the two of us are kind of building a synergy and a style. And I recognize that style. So I'll only have a handful of people that I kind of in my mind want to work with because I already know what the style, in a sense, is the devil that I know. And, yeah. and there's like a blessing because obviously you work with people over years, they become closer than just colleagues. But at the same time, <clears throat> you miss out on seeing some fresh talent. So somewhere in the mix, you start walking the line, <clears throat> excuse me, and you learn that, listen, I need to open up spaces so that younger ideas can come into the fold so, know, for the betterment of the project. So, I mean, yeah. what you're saying, what you're insinuating, basically, it becomes a bit more monotonous. So you kind of expect what's going to happen. You know how this No. And in what sense? Not even. Yeah. Not even. It's not monotonous. It's Look, dude, I'll tell you this. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I'll tell you that. Like, it's because you don't know what's going to happen. That's the thing about it. It's, imagine if I gave you three days to go fetch something and you only have three days. You don't know what's going to happen. What if it rains that day? What if, what if your girlfriend breaks up with you? You don't know. What if the person that you're supposed to talk to doesn't show up and the entire happen. budget is 
on them. So it's always, it's not monotonous. It's always fun. But the problem is you start building a ragtag group of individuals and you guys keep going in there like a superhero group. And it's fun to always do stuff with your friends. But after a while, you start to realize this is, we are creatives. And there's only so many ideas that one group of people who kind of get together. So maybe the word isn't monotonous, but more homogenous, where because we start to know each other, it might kind of look the same every time. And when you start bringing in new people, and also now, especially when you've built a style, how do you take critique from someone new to kind of change and break open your own box again so you can refresh your mind and recreate all over again and become someone new? Sometimes it's like you have to let go. Yeah. Reinventing your style is very, very <clears throat> essential. I, I'm still trying to, I mean, look, it, it obviously sounds like you're very passionate about your job and you're very expressive about it. And I'm just trying to like put the writing style two and two together. Um, mm. When I found out that you're a podcast writer, um, first and foremost, as I, I can imagine, you know, researching something is one thing. But then also trying to put it and, you know, what you're doing now with the with um, with the Netflix uh, podcast series, um, which is the first ever African podcast series that I found quite what um, what quite groundbreaking. What I think is how do you do how do you go around doing this? Because I feel like this is a very hard task, considering that you're speaking to like one of the continent's most celebrated on screen talent. How do you go around researching your 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 writing? Well, not your writing style, your content in order for this, you know, for yeah. the podcast to go along swiftly? So, you know, um, this is the thing uh, about it. Um, kind of the, the period I'm going through right now <clears throat> is a lot of not focusing on whether I can do. You know, sometimes there's a lot of imposter syndrome that comes with this space. Okay. And I had to learn quite recently that there's no more time to wonder if you are supposed to be in the space, but kind of cultivating a system around how it works. Yeah. So how I went about this task was one, uh, I realized like because of my research background, especially in the earlier days when when I was doing V Entertainment, and by the way, it wasn't just V Entertainment. It was also like a, a bunch of other stuff. You know, I also got to do and write uh, a show called Turn Up um, quite early on after it was uh, in its after its inception. I got to you know write for that. Um, so for a long time, I'd been doing a lot of pop culture research across the African continent. So it wasn't a foreign place to start from for me. But I think that what I had to realize very quickly was um, what are the what are the conversations that we're trying to have? And not necessarily, oh, my goodness, I'm going to be talking to Kunle Remy or to um, Kemi Aditebe, you know, like all the other people that we had, you know, especially like um, someone like Retabile, Ramapakela, like these are like such amazing, it's a lesson to it. So, so many really cool and accomplished people. And I think like at a certain level, um, because I'm inside the space, I'm a little bit naive to it, meaning I don't, I'm not on the other side. I'm not, you know, I've had to accept that I won't ever experience entertainment anymore like a regular person will because there's a way in which I'm tuned into it. Yeah. So I'm not necessarily one of those people who, will physically see the magic all the time and be like, oh my goodness, so much smoke and mirrors. But um, I, I realized that there's someone on the other side who has to benefit from learning and watching this. And, um, you know, at a practical level, how I went about it was I needed to watch the content. And you can imagine how much content that is. 
that all those people represent. Like it's sure, dude. I mean, like for Kemi alone, um, she's a director from Nigeria. Yeah, it was so much, bro. Like King of Boys, just like I think King of Boys by itself was like ten hours to watch, just the one thing. Um, and then you you would get like crossover where you get a, a Daniel Etimefiong who has Castle and Castle here, and then they skin there, and then there's like. Um, happiness is a four letter and it's like all these things and and like Costa costs like five seasons and then like you have like um, uh, Reti who has uh, How to Ruin Christmas on the one side and then seriously single it's like all these things how do I watch that in the space of like a month and still have to have real opinions about it you know how do I do that it, it's, a, it's a very it's a tricky task right but Interpret- it, it was kind interpreting of- it differently interpret it differently yeah. and you know speak, looking at it from an audience point of view and also trying to bring out something innovative and, and fresh so so like for me the task was to figure out one the point right but also i was very blessed i had um, a, a very good uh, team with me um i had a young lady by the name of quite she was working alongside me as well she's also an excellent writer yeah. Um, also, our director, Joby uh, Bakama, he's uh, also very, like, he's got, like, a whole minefield. Like, there's also someone you should talk to. It's him. He's, he's a dude who guided us along. But okay. practically, the idea of how to write for it was, one, to do the research. And then I was very lucky because after I did the research, you, you kind of learn how people express themselves creatively, right? So you get the creative expression on the one side. Um, what was also afforded to us was, Netflix would, would give me an opportunity to pre-interview everyone. So every single person who's on that podcast, I got to pre-interview for like 30 minutes at least uh, okay. over, over a Zoom meeting, right? And that's when I started to learn about them. Yeah. And, and, and I, I call myself very privileged for that experience because um, in that space, uh, somehow the universe aligned and everyone was very open to me. Um, and even though it was like, you know, we'd be talking like this, like we are on this podcast, yeah. there's like six other people in the, in the meeting Zoom or in the, in, the, um, in the space and just listening to me have a conversation can be very nerve wracking because it's like everyone's kind of evaluating the way you're interviewing this big star. But um, I think what ended up happening with me was I was very concerned. I've come full circle with my uh, work as, as uh, someone who works in pop culture and researches on it. I try to look for people, for the people in there. Because at the end of the day, when the set lights go off and you get into your car, you go home to your home, your life. And that's kind of who I try to connect with the best, um, you know, as, as much as I can. Um, one of the people that I got to to work with quite, not work with, but uh, get to be friends with was uh, uh, Jane Moodley. She's the director for uh, Kandasamis, you know? Okay. And it's like, it's because, it's because of that little journey, that little experience that I got to really understand who these people were. And I also get to see myself in them a little bit because some of them I aspire to do some of the things that they do. And some of them I see them as kind of like representing different facets of the friends and the people that I've come to know through my life. And because of that little foundation, once you start asking them questions, you know kind of what to do. Obviously, there's a little bit of what uh, the Netflix um, uh, people would want the podcast to reflect to be like but ultimately my desire was to be able to give people an opportunity to express the topics that are on their hearts and also give them an opportunity to be proud of themselves for these things that they've done because I feel like a lot of the time in this industry we don't give people the opportunity to be proud of themselves without it 
coming across like I'm being boastful. And the thing is, it's so hard sometimes to work in this industry. Mm. You know, I myself am a safter one, but it's a lot of the times very difficult to put that out there in the first two minutes of talking to someone. I'm not yeah. saying it's my most proudest achievement, but it's an achievement of note. And it's like, um, this is kind of what I was trying to do with um, as much as I can put it to the front to say, let's talk about hot burning issues that Africans would like to hear about and discuss. But at the same time, let's give the people who are in the platform with us, um, who are becoming a lot like our friends, um, to be able to speak on themselves and their own journeys. And then, you know, um, the best thing that I learned from it, though, was, uh, you know, as much as it was Nigeria and South Africa and a little bit of Kenya, that's kind of <clears throat> the territories that we, we had uh, people from come in and sit down. Yeah. All of us across the continent are very much the same. I don't know how we, well, obviously we know how we. But in regards to, terms. in terms of like, in regards to worldviews, in regards Co- to style. In terms of who we are. Okay. In terms of who we are. Um, what I mean is this. Yes, Nigeria and South Africa, when it comes to pop culture, are seen as, well, with Ghana as well, are seen as like uh, juggernauts of the African pop culture space um, amongst uh, the urban market. But for us, it's like there's so much more that we're the same that we don't realize and we're not able to use to our advantage. When you leave the space and you look at it from a different perspective, you realize just how much of the flavor of the world that we are and how much um, in other territories, our Africanness, um, you'll see it, it's watered down in other places, yeah. right? But we're the juice, we're the concentrate, you know? Um, when you think about South Africa, for example, most kids can dance before they can talk. And I mean, like, dance, you know? And then, you know, kind of like, as we go through life, we don't even have development like they would in other countries, but we still somehow are able to make dances that go viral and move around the world. It's the same with our, our, our music. A lot of the times, our music might not be headlining in the same way that, like, other people's music might or, you know, stuff like that. But our brand of culture is so beautiful. We just don't always praise it in that way. That's why it matters when when Burner Boy will make the cover of Billboard. Because for us, we're like, but yeah, it's Burner Boy the whole time. We know this. Yeah. But around the world, it might not always be as recognized. So it matters. But I think know? And that, that's kind I, of what I learned. But I think that's that's exactly why this podcast is so special. Because you are tapping into stories and information that not only the African content like you and I, you just spoke about, no. But a lot of people across the globe will be watching this and they'll be like, you know what, this is information I'm looking for. This is not like information you can easily run by on YouTube, for instance. This is something you have to root out and root search information from, you know. So as much yeah. as you say from like a geographic point of view, Nigeria could be like 12,000, 8,000 kilometers away. There's so many similarities that we have um, from a music point of view, from a food culture. From I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And I think that's the beauty yeah. of it. Yeah, I agree. And I think like, like for me, at a very practical level, level at a practical label, the thing that I'd love for for people to do, uh, having come into contact with this work, is one, obviously, get to know the talent better because a lot of them are really extraordinary across the different things that they've done, yeah. but also to watch the 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 titles, the content that they represent. Um, two things for me that really stood out, that really surprised me in a very good way, um, was uh, Kunle and Anija Christmas. Is the need for that movie? Please do yourself a favor. Watch that movie. I'm not oh, even going to tell you. Please watch don't. Watch don't it because yeah, yeah. I'm not going to tell. One thing like like you feel proud to be an African. 
okay. after watching Anija Christmas, right? Um, and then there was also Celeste, um, Celeste and her special. I think mm-hmm. it's uh, of Money and Men, Money and Men, something like that. What? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Celeste for me was was one of the the, the nicest surprises for me, and I want to say it like that because I kind of knew about her from earlier on when I was doing you know, my V Entertainment days. And I kind of, because it wasn't necessarily my flavor of comedy, I never paid attention to it until it was time for me to do extensive research. And I learned something so special about her brand of comedy. And that's, she's very much like the the quintessential comedian, funny, raw, and unafraid, but also full of EQ. Because you need someone so insightful. She's so, so insightful. She's ridiculously insightful. Yeah. And she's, and the problem is, yeah, no, yes, sorry, sorry for cutting you short there, but Celeste mm. is one person, every time I watch an interview, I always learn something new. You know, every time you watch somebody else's interview, you kind of know oh. what to expect, 90% of the information, but because she comes off that raw, you know, she has a yeah. raw flavor, you're like, ah, this is going to be a bit too predictable, but she's so insightful, she's, so she's amazing, she's yeah. amazing, and ridiculously. Yeah, funny. and you, you, you know, and like, um, I was lucky, I, I also got to be uh, an editor. Um, yeah. on the Never Late podcast. So there's a lot of stuff that um, I got to contribute, like in terms of controlling the narrative. I'm not saying that like I was sitting there saying yes or no to everything, mm-hmm. but I recognize the level of of input that the work that I got to do came into this type of podcast. And I'm very, very lucky for that. But I think when when you when you look uh, as, as an editor at someone like a Celeste or even um, the other people like Israel, Zulu or um, you know, like that, that stuff that like that level of insight, bro, that you can't, you, you can't get anywhere else. There's a way in which, and especially like, dude, when I was cutting it, there's so many things that you want to put in, but you're restricted by time. And I think, you know, now that you've podcasted, yeah. you know what that feels like. And yeah. even like making a promo, especially with someone like Celeste or someone like Israel, you sit there and like, how there's too many things to cram into 30 seconds so people can be enticed to watch you know <laughs> so so for me that was kind of um the things that that i really like